Amen. Well, it's so good to see you guys here. You guys ready for the Word of God this morning? It's going to be a good one. Luke chapter 12, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. And I want you to hear this message that Jesus was teaching. He said, Dear friends, do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can do, notices. they can do any more to you after that. But I tell you whom you should fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, He is the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And they notice what Jesus said in verse 7. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't even be afraid. You are more valuable to God than the whole flocks of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought... No, that's another verse. I'm going to say that for later. I want to jump over to verse 13 because following what Jesus taught, He gave this parable. And He said to someone that called out from the crowd. And someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who may judge over you to decide such a thing against that? And I want you to look at verse 15. Then he said, Beware, guard against all types of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Can I just say that one more time? Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told this story. He said, a rich man had fertile farms and produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but it's not have a rich relationship with God. And lastly, Jesus turned to the disciples and he said, Do not worry. This is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or to wear. Let's pray. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. 
Help us to understand, apply it to our lives, and use me now to speak your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into this word of God today. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching this massive crowd of people. And as he's teaching this crowd, he begins to talk to people and he says some interesting things. One of the things that caught my attention is that Jesus first said, every hair on your head is numbered by God. That's how detailed God knows you. And then Jesus says this to illustrate a strong point. God so understands you. He understands your situation. He knows what you're going through. And He wants the people to know you are more valuable to God than anything in this planet. Jesus says, if God even cares about the needs of animals, how much more will God care about you? See, Jesus is teaching the crowd. If you look at um, chapter 12 of Luke, the entire chapter is all about worrying too much about life. Worrying so much about everything you're going through in your life. And the honest truth is, maybe here today or listening online, there's a lot of you right now that are so concerned about all these things in life and you're concerned about what's going to happen and what are you going to do and how are you going to pay the bills and how are you going to do this for your kids and work and job and bills and work and job and bills and hobbies and people and relationships and there's all these problems upon problems and everyone today we have this high level of worry. And Jesus is teaching about worry and he's giving them this sense of encouragement to say, listen, do not worry about your life. But then Jesus, he does something interesting. He changes the entire focus of what you might say the sermon was. And he says, don't worry about people. Don't worry about life. Don't worry and concern yourself with any of that. Don't be afraid of that. And Jesus might have shocked everyone when he said, exact, you need to fear God. Stop worrying about everything else in life and fear God who has the power to take your life and has the power to throw you into hell. Think about that for a moment. Jesus said God has the power. He has the power to kill you. Don't worry about people. People can physically kill you. People can physically talk bad about you. They can make your day or your life horrible and rough and difficult. But God said, don't even worry about that because there's a bigger problem in your life and that's eternity. It's actually hell. So fear God who has the power to kill you and has the power to throw you into hell. Now what is fascinating about Luke chapter 12 is what occurred in verse 13. The Bible says that someone 
We don't know who he is. We don't know what or where they came from. There's no name to this person. But the Bible says that in that crowd, listening to Jesus, listening to that sermon, this man or woman was sitting there and they were listening to Jesus say, don't worry about your life. God loves you. You're more valuable. God can take care of you. And that's all they were listening to, so much so that this person came out of the crowd and said, Jesus, they called out of the crowd, teacher, Please, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Can can we just pause and think about what just happened? Jesus is talking about hell. He's talking about God's power to take your life and throw you into hell. And the only thing this man is listening to is Jesus say, I can fix your problems. He sees Jesus as a resource, not salvation. The entire time this Jesus is speaking, this person is only thinking about life, is only thinking about the problems he has with his brother. He's only thinking about money. He's only thinking and stressed out about wealth. He's only thinking about the temporary things of this world. He doesn't care about the other part of life called eternity. He doesn't care about what Jesus is saying about hell. He doesn't care about the fact that he's going to die one day and face eternity, right? now what is most important to me is my life my happiness my money my position everything that I want it's not about this Jesus I don't want to hear about this right now and sadly there's a lot of people like this man we don't want to hear about hell we don't want to hear about eternity we don't want to hear about death we don't want to hear any of that we just want to come to church and hear the preachings that say God God loves you, God values you, you're special, you have potential, you have a purpose, God is going to take care of you, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have money, you're going to be happy, God doesn't want you sad, so cheer up, but see Jesus came not to make you happy, he came to save your soul, but this man didn't get it. He just goes to Jesus and he says, please. He doesn't say, please, save me. He doesn't say, please, forgive me. Or even, please, teach me more so I can learn. He says, Jesus, help, please, help me get more money so that I can get more property and build a bigger house and be happier or accept it. And this man, he missed the entire point of Jesus' message. He was more concerned about this temporary life than the afterlife called eternity. Jesus illustrated such a man in Matthew 13, verse 7. The Bible says, 
other seeds. Now that seed that Jesus was talking about was the Word of God. And it says some seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant. And look at verse 22. Notice that Jesus explained what the seed meant. That seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lures of wealth so that it produces no fruit. Do you understand, like this man in the crowd, many people are going to hear the word of God. They're going to hear the truth of Jesus and the cross and salvation. They're going to hear the truth about sin. But it's interesting that the worries of life crowd your mind so much that you don't, you don't even concern yourself with your soul. You don't even concern yourself with your own salvation. And the reason that they heard the word of God, but it did not grow, it did not produce fruit, is simply because there was so much worry about life. See, one of the tools that the devil loves to use is worry. And this message is not about not to worry. You guys already know that. But see, what the devil loves to do is put so much worry and concern into your life, it distracts you from putting God first. He wants to put and fill your mind with so much concern and busyness and all the things you got to do and this and that and concerns and what about this and what about that that you have your mind is crowded with so much that you can't even receive the word of God and he doesn't want you to receive the word of God because when you receive the word of God it produces fruit in your life. You begin to grow and be blessed and be a blessing. But the devil doesn't want that, so he wants to distract you with all this concern about life. And I believe that there are so many people today that we are just so crowded in our minds with concerns. And we're so crowded with everything we got to do and all the things we got to buy and all the things we got to pay off and all the bills that need to be paid and all the houses I want and the car I want and the gifts I want, the clothes I want, the boat I want, the vacation I want to go to. And you're so crowded with all the things of this world that you don't even preoccupy yourselves with God. And this man on the crowd was literally hearing Jesus speak. But the entire time, he's just concerned with what his brothers are doing, the money he's not getting, the things he wants to buy. And see, in verse 15, Jesus, in reference to this man... He warns the people and he says this. He said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Because life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus said, 
Be careful with greed. Life is not measured by what you own. That word measure in the Greek is a word that Jesus used as a, 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 a scale in the marketplace. It's kind of like you go to a deli and you ask for some meat or some ham and they put it on the scale and based on the weight determines how much that meat is worth. That's what Jesus said this world is like. This world measures your value and your success based on how much you have. And when you look at this world, it has become so self-absorbed and greedy. And we are running this rat race because we want to buy and wear and drive and live and do all because we are deceived into thinking that is what makes me valuable. That is what makes me important. That is what makes me worth something. This trickles down all the way even to our own children. They look at social media. They look at who's prettier, who has what, who's wearing what, who's doing what. And they have this low self-esteem because they tell themselves, if I don't have this and I don't do that and I don't wear this, I am not worth anything. The devil starts with the young people and it goes all the way into our adult life and even our senior life. If you don't have and you don't own and you haven't accomplished and you don't do, you are worth nothing. So this world measures success on what we have. So that when you look at someone and you see what they're driving and what's on their wrist and where they live, and you see what they do for a living, you are tempted to think, wow, this person, he has a lot of value. We call this someone's net worth. And all a net does is trap you. It entangles you. Yesterday, my friend threw a cast net and a bunch of bait fish swimming around and those fish just got tangled up that they couldn't be set free. And I believe the devil is doing this so much to people. So many people, even in the church, are entangled with everything in the world and the concern and the worry and the busyness and the stress. And I got to do this and I got to have that. Why? Because if not, I'm nothing. This man is listening to Jesus talk about hell. But his mind is just concerned, sadly, about this life. And Jesus says, be careful. You don't fall into greed. See, greed is a desire for more. Because what you have is not enough. How many of you believe we live in this toxic culture today of greed? We measure our worth by what we own. We measure our value by the numerical number of a bank account. 
We measure our worth by how many followers we have. We measure ourselves by thinking, I need more, I want bigger, I want better, I want newer, I want shinier. This man, he comes out of the crowd. And by him just saying, Lord, please help me get some money from my brother, he is demonstrating to Jesus, I have no interest in the things of God. I have no interest in eternity. I have no interest in hell. And when I look at the people today, and I look at our country, and I look at our church, and I look at our lives, I see a bunch of people headed down this destructive path where we don't concern ourselves enough with the things of God. We don't put God first. God is not priority. God is not most important because other things or people have our attention. And Jesus says, be careful with this type of greed. And maybe today you're concerned with all these things in your life. Show me your hands this morning if there's at least one thing you're really concerned about. All right, keep them up if there's at least two things. Three. Let's go. Less, who has more than ten? You could have done, okay. Wow, we're going to pray for you. <laughs> now let me ask you this question. When Jesus gave this parable about this rich fool, Jesus says that in this story, God told this man, you fool. Your life will be demanded of you today. In other words, God says, you're not going to see tomorrow. You're not going to live past today. Now, with all those concerns you have in your head, you're thinking about them? If God would tell you right now, you're not going to see Monday. You're not going to see tomorrow. If God would say, I promise you by the end of this day, you will be in eternity. If God would just honestly tell you, you're going to die today. How many of those things you raised your hand for? How many of those concerns will still be a concern of yours? Show me your hands, at least one. No one. That's the teaching that Jesus is saying. All those things you're concerned about, whatever it is, on the day you die, it will not matter. It will not matter. That's why we need to live every day like it's our last. And stop living your life entangled by all the concerns and worry and stress and anxiety and busyness and concern yourselves with the things of God. Because when it's all said and done, none of that will matter. None of it. This is why Jesus, He said in verse 20, 
when he told this story, he called this man. He said, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Jesus teaches this amazing principle. First off, he said, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Everything you're so preoccupied with, you take none of it with you when you die. You take nothing, the house, the cars, the clothes, the retirement account, the inheritance, the stocks, none of that. In fact, someone else is going to get it. Someone who didn't even work as hard as you did is going to get it. You take nothing with you when you die. And yet, we continue to be entangled with all the things of this world. And Jesus said, you fool. Why did God call this man foolish? Let me give you some reasons. Verse 16 and 18. He told them this story. A rich man had fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what am I going to do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I'll have more room, enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Go back to verse 16. Let me show you why God tells this man is a fool. Did you guys pick up on this? The Bible says a rich man had a fertile farm that produced a fine crop. Did you realize that it doesn't say a poor man had a financial blessing and his increase happened and all of a sudden he had all this money? The Bible makes a note he was already rich. But it so happened that that season, he got even more rich and even more money. And rather than say, let me get this to use it for God, let me get this and use it to be a blessing to others, the only thing on his mind was himself. You see, even though he was rich, he wanted more. The Bible says, I'm going to tear down and build bigger. I want better. I want nicer. I want newer. See, the number one reason this man was first a fool was because he was discontent. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. But see, we have this culture of discontentment. I need better. I need bigger. I need more. I need to upgrade. It's not enough. I need more. It's not enough. I need more. I just bought this, but now it's the latest model. It has come out, so now my iPhone 10 is garbage compared to the next iPhone. Oh, my car? That's last year's model. It's old. No, this is not enough. Discontentment. Verse 19, he was a fool. Because it says, I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, 
I have enough stored away for years to come. Now I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink. I'm going to be happy. Discontentment not only made this man foolish, but he was foolish because his source of happiness was on stuff. See, discontentment leads you to believe you're not happy. And I'll only be happy when, and you fill in the blank. I'll be happy when I have this, I have that, I own this. I'll be happy when I have this amount of money. I'll, ha I'll be happy once I can retire with this much. I'll be happy if I lived in this house. I'll be happy if I can go to this college. I will be happy once I'm in this relationship. I will be happy when I have a child. I will be happy. You see, the source of happiness can never be found in an element object. But this man said, I'm going to be happy with stuff. This man was a fool not only because he was discontent and his discontentment led to unhappiness found only in stuff, but the Bible says in verse 19 and 20, this man was a fool because he said, I'm going to sit back and say to myself, my friend, here it is, you have enough stored away for years to come. He was a fool because he was honestly convinced he had more time. I have years to come. I, I'm going to sit back, relax, because I'm going to grow old. And it, it might be cute and romantic to tell your spouse, I want to grow old with you, but you don't know that. You could die today. I have more years to come. We think because we're young, we have so much more time. But some of you, it felt like you were young yesterday and look at you now. Do you remember when you were able to run? I remember a time I got out of bed without moaning and groaning. And even now, you're like, well, Pastor, you're still young. Yeah, but I was, I'm not in my 20s. And I get up and I'm married to a girl that's in her 20s still. And it's, it's embarrassing because I get up and I'm like, oh, and I'm walking, I'm crying. And she's like, ah, and she's why And I'm like, I, but you know what? Your time will come. Young people, your time will come. And then when I visit my grandmother and I see all these elderly people and they're just sitting in a hallway and they're in the wheelchair or on the bed watching, you know, Univision or Telemundo, just there, lying there, lifeless, hopeless. And then, oh my God, how sad. And then I think, oh my gosh, but one day I'm going to be there. This man was a fool because he said, I have many more years to come, not knowing tonight was his night. Jesus said, this man was a fool because he was not rich towards God. He was a fool because he did not value a relationship with God to be valued. 
He was a fool because he would die without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and rejecting Him. You see, Jesus told this story in reference to this man who came up to Him and said, I need more money. See, Jesus was saying, you remind me of this rich fool who's going to die without hearing the truth, without receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're going to die in your sin. You're going to die. And all those things you're concerned with is not going to matter. Jesus said in James chapter 4, 13, He said this, Now listen, look here. That word look literally means to focus. So God is saying, pay attention to this. Look here, you who say, Today, tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. We're going to stay there a year. We're going to do business there. And we're going to make a profit. How do you know? Notice that question. How do you know? Let's pause that verse for a second. See, some of you might say, well, I'm going to retire. I'm going to plan this. I'm going to do this with my 401. I'm going to get married by 30 or 40. I'm going to have kids by this time. I'm going to retire at this time. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do there. And God looks at you and he says an unanswerable question. How do you know? Now, I'm all for planning. But don't live your life like your plans are absolutely going to happen. How do you know? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? God says your life is like a morning fog. It, it's here for a little while. Then it's gone. You know that one day you're going to be gone? And everything you concerned yourself with won't matter? The only thing that's going to matter is what you did with Jesus? What relationship or lack of relationship you had with Jesus? He said, you fool, you're not rich towards God. Verse 20 and 21, he said it clearly. He said, you fool, you will die this very night. Who will get everything you worked for? And notice Jesus said, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but is not, does not have a rich relationship with God. If your value is found in anything but Jesus, you will live with that eternal regret forever. Your worth is not found in any possession, any job, your worth is not found in any child you bear. Your worth is not found in any great hobby and talent you might possess. Your worth is not found in money. Your worth is only found in God. And He demonstrated your worth by sending His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. You say, well, Pastor, how do I know if I'm rich towards God or not? Verse 29 and 30 of Luke 12, 
Notice what Jesus said. Again, don't be concerned about what to eat, what to drink. Don't worry about such things. Notice the next verse. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers in the world. How do you know whether you're rich towards God or not? What do you think about the most? What dominates your thinking? Is it Jesus or not? What dominates your day, your life, your self-worth? What dominates your thinking? Because when you are truly saved, what dominates your thinking is how to live a life to please God. How to grow closer to Him. You begin to seek Him in the Word and in prayer and in church because you're desperate to grow and be more like Jesus because your thoughts are dominated by loving Jesus and being more like Him. But if your thoughts and everything that dominates your thinking is your job, your money, your pleasure, your clothing, your cars, this world, your friends, don't tell me you're living a life to seek Jesus. It's just a lie we tell ourselves. And it reminds me of a very important person that was in my life. My dad's sister, my aunt, here's a picture of her. This is my dad's sister. And I loved her. And my mom and my dad invited her to church how many times, mom? Years. And she would say, no, I'm not interested. Traveled the world, did all these amazing things. When I went to her house, it was filled with amazing things. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But when you invited her to church, she would say no. And she was so desperate. She was seeking something spiritual. She tried to find it in Hinduism and Buddhism and Catholicism and Judaism. And she was looking and seeking. She had a shelf filled with hundreds and hundreds of religious books. She read through the Bible over and over. But when she saw Jesus, she said no. And her whole life, she was searching for something spiritual. And we would invite her to church. She would just reject it. And her life, she worked so hard. Day and night, saving money, saving money, growing money, getting wealth, because she said, I'm going to retire, I'm going to plan, and I'm going to travel the world, and I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to buy that. And she started planning for retirement. And when she finally got to retire, she said, I'm going to have a surgery to fix my back so that my back will feel better, so that I can travel more and do more and live my life. And when she came to that surgical 
day of the hospital, she started talking to my dad. My dad talked to her about Jesus, and she still rejected. And that day, she died on the operating. She got operated, and shortly after, she got one little blood clot and died. Her plans never came. And my father watched her die. And I I believe this with all my heart because I've witnessed it myself in people dying. But I believe that when you die, right before you die, heaven or hell opens up. I've seen saved people die, and when they, there's a, a joy in them and a smile, and I hear people say, well, well, these men are dressed in white. Wow, this is amazing. And they have this peace. But I've also seen people die and with fear and terror and fear, and oh my God, and they're so afraid. And who are these men in black? It's the craziest thing. But I honestly believe right before you die, you know where eternity you're going to spend. And when my aunt was dying, she started stripping off her clothes, begging. She kept saying, it's so hot in here. She started describing like this fire. She started getting so hot and tearing off her clothes and agony and fear. She's like, no, it's so hot. It's so hot. And she died. She's in hell today. Because she rejected Jesus. And you know, the one time she came to church was when I started forward. And she said, let me at least go to support my nephew. And I still remember the day and what I preached. It was such a clear presentation of Jesus and the cross and the gospel. And she clearly, still there, rejected it. And she died. And she's in hell. But she had chances. And she's in torment now. Because hell is a physical place of torment. And let me just give you a description of hell through these many verses here. Can you just put that slide up for a second? Look, I, I want you to understand something. Matthew twenty five fourteen, the Bible says that hell was a place for Satan and his demons. You're asking, well, why would God create hell? God was never creating hell for people. He was creating it for Satan and his demons. But the second people sinned, they qualified. Revelations 19.20, all non-believers that reject Christ will suffer in hell with the devil along with his demons and the Antichrist. That's in Revelations 19.20. Luke 16.23, the Bible describes hell as a physical place of torment. 
Luke 16, 24, Matthew 13, 42, Matthew 25, 41. The Bible describes hell as a physical fire, not a metaphorical one, not an allegory, a physical fire that burns for all eternity. Luke 16, 24, you will desire relief because you will know what relief felt like, but you will find none. Luke 16, 24, it's a place not only of physical pain, but agony. Agony is describing emotional sorrow. Right now, there are people in hell emotionally sorrowful because they had every opportunity to receive Christ, but did not. Mark 9, 43, Revelations 14, 11, the fire and the torment increase and it never gets better. It never goes away. Revelations 14, 11, hell is forever and ever with no rest for all eternity. Luke 16, 24, it describes a great chasm. It's eternal separation. You can't go back to earth. You can't go back to your family, but you will desire to, but you will be forever separated from God and people. Luke 16, 22, you will have memory of your lifetime and the people. You will have memory of your friends and your family. You will have memory of forward fellowship and Pastor David. My aunt has memory of being in my church, hearing the gospel. She will have memory like many will have memory. Luke 16, 22, you will have memory of your lifetime, but you will also remember why you rejected Jesus. Revelation 21 23 it is a place of complete and utter darkness void of god the bible talks more about hell than anything else it's a real place you say well i hope i don't go there you better be sure you're not. Jesus spoke of hell as a physical place. He used the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna outside of, was a place outside of the city of Jerusalem. It was a garbage dump. Gehenna was where you would put criminals that died. You would just throw their bodies to be burned there. All the sewage went to Gehenna. You, so it was common to go by Gehenna and see sewage and garbage and burning corpses all day. It was such a horrible sight. It smelled. It was worse. You could not bear the sight or the smell or the experience of Gehenna for more than a minute. And Jesus says, hell is going to be like Gehenna. You're going to want to escape it, but you won't. Why do, and you, people tell me all the time, the number one question I get from non-believers, why would a loving God send people to hell? Romans 6.23 is what I always tell them. Because the wages of sin is death. First of all, God is a God of just. See, we see God as a loving God and He's a loving God, but He's also a just God. And because He's a just God, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be paid for. And God's love for us will not excuse our sin. That's the problem I have with the way the church is headed. We talk so much about the love of God, but not the justice of God. The wages of sin is death. 
And here's where God's love falls into place. But the gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God doesn't demonstrate His love by not sending people to hell. God demonstrated His love that we were all condemned to go to hell, but He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to take our sin that we deserved, and He paid the price. God doesn't send people to hell. Let me say that again. God does not send people to hell. People choose to go there. It's a choice. You might think, who in their right mind chooses to go to hell? Who in their right mind? Oh, I know, hell is a place for bad people. Hell is a place for the Hitlers and the Castros. Hell is a place for the worst of the worst. The murderers, the rapists. No. No, but, but there's not... There's, good people don't go to hell, pastor. Who says you are good? Romans 3.10. It says this. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. That word righteous means to be in right standings with God. Let's be clear about something. No one has right standings with God without Jesus. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Notice this. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul. Like the stench from the open grave, their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Notice this next passage. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. No one is good. Not even one, but the Bible says we are made right with God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Not by anything you do. If, you're, if your merit for heaven and salvation is doing something or good, you have proven the Bible to be so true. No one is good. All of us have sinned. So God said, well, why does God send good people to hell? No one's good. And God is just. But in His love, Jesus died on the cross so that when you place your faith and trust in Him, you will be forgiven no matter who you are. There is no greater love than that. Verse 9 and 10 of our opening passage. Jesus said this clearly. Clearly. 
anyone who desires me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who denies me will be denied. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. Jesus said, you can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Because everyone, whoa, all sin is forgivable. The Bible says all but one. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Think about it. Every sin in your life can be forgiven, all but one. And I'll explain why. The blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is deliberately choosing to deny and reject Jesus Christ. That's it. My aunt blasphemed against the Holy Spirit every time she was invited to hear the gospel and she said, no, that's not for me. Rejecting Jesus is the unforgivable sin because if you die today having rejected Jesus, your sins would not have been paid for and they have to be paid by your soul in hell. Every time you have an opportunity to accept and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you reject, you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So as we close this morning, and next Sunday is our last Sunday of the Hell series, I want you to really look at your life right now. And really ask yourself, have I really put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Stop telling yourself, I'm good enough for heaven. The Bible clearly showed us this morning, we're not. The Bible says everything can be forgiven except rejecting Jesus Christ. And if you were to die today, Jesus told this man, this very night you will die. Everything you concern yourself with in life won't matter. Your job won't matter. Your money won't matter. Your bills won't matter. None of that will matter. The only thing that will matter would be your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if Jesus would tell you what he told this rich fool, this very day your life will be demanded of you. Would you have the confidence to be not afraid but ready because you can clearly recall that moment in your life you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Think, well, Pastor, what does it mean to just put my faith in Jesus Christ? You believe you're a sinner. The Bible says no one is good, all have sinned. You can say, Pastor, I know that. I agree. I'm not good. I am a sinner. That's a start. And then you realize that because you're a sinner and sin needs to be paid for through death and hell and eternity, you're saying, I deserve hell. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for those very sins of mine. 
and I'm going to put my faith that my sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And there you just ask the Lord to forgive you of all your sins. And you ask him and you say, Lord, receive me as your child. You have faith that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. You have faith that he's the only way to be forgiven. You don't say things like, well, I'll put my faith in Jesus, but just in case, let me go do some nice things. You don't say things like, okay, well, uh, maybe later. I I hope so. I think, I hope I'm saved. I think I put my faith in him. You don't say, well, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, but on top of that, I'm going to do all these religious things to make sure I'm ready. The only thing you do is nothing because Jesus did it all. And it's your choice. Will you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and say, no, not me, not for me? Or will today be the day you say, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm ready. But I want to be sure because I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We learned last Sunday how many people in the church think they're saved, but they're not. And today is your opportunity. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I know I'm saved. Then you need to live a life that shows great thankfulness towards that. You need to live a life where you reach other lost people. Because it pains me to see the church so empty when the world is so filled with people that are lost and dying. And some of these people are your family. Some of these people are your friends, your co-workers. What are you doing to be sure that these people get the opportunity to have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? It's awesome. Bow our heads for a word of prayer today. Father, I pray you would open the hearts of those who are, their hearts are hardened now. I pray for those who are concerned with the world and everything in the world when the world is just dying and perishing. And I pray that you give eternal security for someone here today or online that doesn't know whether they have it or not. If you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I understand now. And I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. And I know that this is only possible, not by any good thing I do, but by everything Jesus did on that cross. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I want to live the rest of my life to serve him. this is you today, would you put that hand up? I want to lead you in this prayer. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm saved, but my family isn't. The greatest feeling 
when my aunt died, when my aunt spent eternity in hell, when my aunt just left this world, it was a sad feeling, it was a hard feeling, we cried. The only good feeling we had as a family was knowing we did everything we could to show her Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I have family that's not saved. I have family that I don't even bother talking to them about the Lord or inviting them to church. I have friends right in front of me that I know need Jesus, but I do nothing about it. If that's you today, would you show me your hand? Say, Pastor, I can tell you at least one person. See, God has put that person in your life because He is using you as a vessel to bring that person for salvation. Let's all stand to pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, for the people here that know without a doubt that they are saved, that have put their faith and trust in you. Father, forgive us for living this life like it's forever. Forgive us when we concern ourselves with everything else but you. Father, there is a dying world out in front of us. There are people every day facing eternity in hell. And Father, these people go to work with us, live with us, have friendships with us. These people are our neighbors. And yet we selfishly do nothing to just be sure they get that opportunity. So give us a heart of evangelism. Give us a heart, as your word says, not to be afraid what to say, but through the Holy Spirit you will speak. So if someone needs wisdom on what to speak, ask the Lord. Or if you need the courage just to invite someone to the church, you grab that invite card we have in the lobby and you just hand it to them and say, you need to come to my church. But do everything you can to present the gospel to a dying person facing hell and eternity. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for all the souls in our lives that are going to hell. I pray for everyone that doesn't know you. Father, we are grateful for the salvation that we have, but help us not to be selfish and just think that it stops there. Father, you put people in our past to reach. You put people in our past, Lord, that you and only you can save. So give us a heart and encouragement and give us a heart to say, Lord, whatever it takes, help me to reach the loss. Father, I thank you for this word. And I pray that you continue to use this church to reach the lost, Lord, because many, many churches are veering off this topic of hell in eternity, and they just want people to feel loved by you. But Lord, they are ignoring the justice that you have. So keep us in this ministry preaching the gospel till it's over. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Give God some praise today.